Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hello there, and thank you for joining me. This is Out to Lunch, where I chat to brilliant people over a few courses of the finest food. My lunch guest today is usually described as the lead singer of one of the biggest bands of the 80s, one that still plays today and still draws huge audiences, and all of that's absolutely true. But for me, well, he's something else. He's the lead singer of a band I've loved for over 40 years. Their first album was the first album I was ever given as a kid, and I played it until the grooves were worn smooth. So I am absolutely thrilled to be having lunch with him. The band have played on the roof of Buckingham Palace. They played the Olympics and literally caused earthquakes. The man himself is a broadcaster, producer, and has even had a one-man show. Today, well, we talk rock and roll bus tours, oysters, and why you should never take someone else's medication. It is, of course, the wonderful singer and raconteur. It sucks. And Leo, our saxophone player, used to bunk in. And one time he got in through the window into Ian Jury's dressing room. It was one of those windows, I, had, I can't describe it, but a little prongle at the bottom, you know, that you can sort of open and close. Yeah. But as he got in, he got caught, his turn-up of his jeans got caught in the prongle and he was dangling upside that's down. A, that's a late 70s problem, <laughs> if ever I heard one. <laughs> I always associate my guest today, Suggs, with the hostelries of London. So I brought him to one. I'm standing on a windy street in London's Kensington outside 2850, which describes itself as a wine workshop and kitchen. Uh, they have a fine selection of wines. They have a lovely menu of sort of bistro food. And I think Suggs is going to like it. We have a table upstairs and I'm very keen to get to it. Suggs. Hey. All right, mate. How are you? Terrific. I got here a bit early and I... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> What you were, I mean, South Ken, it's not, it's not your normal stomping It's not your normal manner, is it? <laughs> no, it was nice going past Bibendum. I had some happy days in there in the old Conran times, yeah. I was quite good friends with Jasper, Conran. But no, it's funny, so I had a little walk around there, got all these funny little art galleries, haven't you? And I ended up in the Banksy one. Jesus, hey. Is there a Banksy gallery here? There's a here? Banksy gallery around there. Did you there, buy yeah. something? Joking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just out of a bit of sort of morbid interest. Yeah, what, two and a half million quid for a tea towel? No, thank you very much. Do you think Lee, your kicks, missed a trick? Because he used to hang off bridges and graffiti <laughs> the North London magic line, didn't he? Exactly, exactly. But I think you'd have some trouble putting that bridge over Gospel Oak Lido on the back of a lorry. Do you, do you, think, do you think someone would notice it go? <laughs> Am I remembering this rightly, that, that on occasion someone would hold onto his legs? Yes. And hang him off the bridge in the middle of the night? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they used to walk down the overground from North London, yeah, and uh, do graffiti. We're talking about Leo's saxophone player, yeah. by the way. In fact, we was doing a documentary a little while ago celebrating 40 years of the band called Before We Was We. And what was nice about it, it was normally I'd do all the talking. It was the first time that every member of the band got to tell their own version of the story. And that's the first time I found out how Lee managed to get this extraordinarily dangerous-looking graffiti off bridges, because, yeah, he was held by his legs, yeah. 
Uh, this is Harry who's uh, serving us today. Hello, Harry. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, very good indeed, yes. Now, listen, before we look at this, I have to yeah. ask you. I, yeah. I heard this story that you'd get the band on the bus for tours of Europe and then lead them off to restaurants. Yeah. Without them necessarily being aware that was what was going to happen. Yes. What have you done? Where have you taken them? I mean, I hate flying. I really hate it with a lust. That's what we used to do, travel around on a bus together, pre-lockdown. We just had a tour that kind of worked. We were going through France, then Spain, Italy, Germany, and then up north. You know, most of your life is in motorway services eating sandwiches, and I just made sure that secretly at the back of the bus I was locating the finest restaurant in the next sort of four or five miles. I mean, we ended up in some fantastic places. Lake Como, I remember very particularly. Yes, yeah, spectacular restaurant overlooking the lakes. I mean, I think I'm slightly more into food than, than, than probably most of them are. I mean, we were all pretty basic when we were young, you know. We weren't quite, weren't great with food. But there's seven of you. Yes. Plus a bit of... I mean, did you only take the band or did you take everybody to these restaurants? Well, we had... Because got... you could screw the overhead on a tour in that way very, very quickly. <laughs> well, very fortunately, the crew travelled before us, so we didn't have to. But we did have a brass section and a, and a percussionist, so there were ten of us. But um, we just factored it in, I think, as a very important part of the day. I mean, lunch is the most important meal because I can't eat pre the gig, you know, dinner, basically. And then after the gig, you're so full of adrenaline, you might have a curry or something, but more often than not, not. So a nice lunch is, 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 is the main meal of the day, which I love. I mean, I, I prefer lunch to dinner anyway, personally. Because... Well, what a perfect segue, folks. <laughs> you have in front of you a menu. It's all, there are some olives, there are some... Almonds. Of course, the ubiquitous smoked yes. almonds, lovely. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'd like some oysters, please. Yeah, yeah. Are we, are we Starters deciding and right now? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. great. But before that, actually, could I get a vodka martini? Yeah, sure. Lovely. You're going to start with the oysters. I'll have the uh, chalk stream trout gravelax. What are you going to do for the main? Do you know what? I'm going to have the hake, please. Hake? Yeah, Very sure. fond of hake. Very nice. Yeah, is it good? Great. And I'll have the duck breast. Yeah. Can I get some tender stem broccoli? Yeah, hake. It's not something I was aware of until quite recently. It's a hell of a fish, isn't it? When you see a real a big, big one, a big, one. A big hake's yeah, a mean, big thing. Yeah. Do you want anything else with it? So it comes with shellfish and saffron cream, a leek fondue, no less. Do you know what? I'd have an on-dive salad with walnuts, but it's on-dives, as we say in California. I was going to suggest, there's a big list here, but go we on, could mate. just get them to do us a, a wines by the glass to go with it. Perfect um, with me. You choose. Jake. You know what we're having. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Perfect. The last time I think we actually saw each other, mm. I was striding past the French house in yes. Soho. Indeed. Um, the legendary French house where they have the red velvet rope designed to keep you in. <laughs> so it's basically so smokers can stand outside. <laughs> yeah. And you were outside. You stopped me. You said, Jay, stop and have a drink. And on one side... The late Peter Bowles, who's yes. only just died, yes. sadly. But on the other side, you said, and this is my mum. Yes. And Edwina was there sitting on her chair and took a puff on her fan and went, hello, darling. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, you, you've recently been doing a one man, another one-man show. Yeah. And I know part of it, isn't it, about discovering that you have a half-sister? Yes, well, well, as you say, Jack, unfortunately, my mum passed away a couple of years ago, unfortunately, yeah. so that's... Um, rather sad. No, she was the queen of that scene, yeah. I mean, she was the only one who was allowed to sit outside and had her own stool and was particularly rude to people that she didn't agree with. Well, I, clearly, I Pretty passed much. muster. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, give yourself a tick there. 
I can't remember once this girl tried to interrupt a conversation with me and my mum and she said to her, excuse me, love, that hair really doesn't suit you. And then <laughs> she wasn't always the most pleasant person you ever came across. So she, she knew how to deal with the fan base? Well... You know, she worked in bars in Soho all her life and I was kind of used to it. But sorry, to answer your original question, yeah, I did a one-man show and my mum was very sad all her life and I discovered very late on that, that she'd actually had a, another daughter after me and, and, and she'd been adopted because my mum couldn't really cope at that time and got in touch with her, which was a great thing at the end of her life, yeah. And are you now in contact with, yeah, your, in fact, with your sister? Yeah, she texted me today, yeah, she lives in Ireland. Um, she's a nurse, very, very nice person. But what was strange was leading up to that, when I found out my mum, you know, my mum always had this kind of innate sadness and I discovered it was because she'd had this girl adopted and obviously that plays on your mind as a, as a, as a woman, I'm sure, as, as any parent. And she asked me if I could try and help to find her. And I spoke to the social service, all the people that I know in social work, said it's very unlikely, you know, it's the child who finds the parent, not yeah. the other way round. So I had to tell my mum that. So it just sort of double exacerbated the sadness that she had. But the irony was, I'd been on uh, This Is Your Life, the old programme. <laughs> Deeply embarrassing. Who on earth in this world wants to hear, do you remember this voice? <laughs> and hear your old headmaster go, I remember you, boy. And you think, yeah, I remember you, you old canute. You flipping well hated me. <laughs> Lovely. Did they really bring on your old headmaster? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not yeah. heard baggy trousers in the lyrics. <laughs> Back at the end with a, with a, with a board rubber. Um... But anyway, it, it, they showed it on the television and, and my sister recognised my mum and she was introduced by her maiden name, which is something that she knew. And then she got in touch on a Facebook thing to my mum, right so, out of the So what, she saw your mum's face and thought that she looked She like looked me. really familiar and my mum was introduced by her maiden name, Gower, which is the name that, 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 that my sister had as the reference to who her mother was. And she'd waited quite a long time until her own adopted parents had died. And then she was worried that we'd think she'd just got in touch with me because I'm famous. But the irony was, if I wasn't famous, then none of this would have happened. So it was great. So she got, to, my mum got to see her and they got to know each other a bit. But unfortunately, my mum was very unwell. But at the same time, me and her shared an experience of being with my mum while she was dying basically but it was a sort so he didn't have to be alone for that as well yeah exactly 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 and my mum was so you know look in her eyes to see the two of us together which she never thought she would was was a very unforgettable thing yeah one of the the stories that, about you is that at what about the age of seven or eight you were sent to live with your aunt yeah because your mum couldn't cope yeah and you were at risk of ending up in so you know social care yeah, yeah. So it all fits that this all happened. Oh, look, they're stacking them up. So your vodka martini has <laughs> arrived. And what's this one? Come on. It's a Riesling uh, white wine. It's a Riesling. Riesling white wine. Well, cheers. Cheers. Yeah, I'll start on the white wine. You start on the martini and Thank get you. to the Riesling when you can. Yeah, my mum had a very disparate, you know, life. I mean, she was a jazz singer and worked in bars, a very sort of late night, uncontrolled kind of existence. So I had to go and live with my aunt for a little while, which was great. I mean, I always went, it was my aunt and uncle in Wales, Pembrokeshire, beautiful part of the world. And I always went there for my summer holidays anyway. It's just this particular summer holiday lasted just... three years. <laughs> but, you know, it sort of just rolled on and I got into the life of being in the country, which was great. Did you have I... to remake your relationship with your mum then as a kid when you came back to North London? A little bit, yes, a little bit, of course. You know, then in my teenage, I'm starting to realise, you know, I'm getting a bit resentful about the fact that I've seen more stability in the people around me in their family lives. 
But then I got through that as well, fortunately. Me and my mum really got through all that and reconciled all the problems that we had between it. So even though she was been a difficult person, is the word, yeah. When you were a kid, running around Camden, yeah. but also actually the whole of, what do you call it, the magic line. Which That's was right. the over do they still call it the magic line, the overground that ran yeah, across north from, London? That's right. I don't know if they still do. No, no. So from where we where we were, Camden Overground, yeah, all the way down to Gospel Oak, Hampstead and all down there. Um You never paid for a train ticket, did you? <laughs> never. But I do remember one time, um I was going to West Hampstead, it was New Year's Eve. I had no money. And my mum had won a bottle of whiskey in a raffle. So I thought, oh, well, I'll take that. You half inch the bottle. Put that in my pocket. And I was wearing white trousers, I remember. And there were some blue pills on the side table. And I'd just seen Quadrophenia. And I was thinking about speed and all that. Unfortunately, it turned out it was in my mum's Valium. Right? So I've took them four I of them. I didn't laugh. I know. I know you took no, four of them. Funny. I took four of them. Right? Yeah. Don't do drugs, kids. Carry on. Get to the overground station. I'm sort of there. Yeah. I'm a sort of third through the bottle of whiskey. Way! Yeah. Um, and the train stops, right? West Hampstead. Great. I open the door and I step out. Unfortunately, it's 500 metres before the actual station. So. Need to explain that in these days, the doors <laughs> were magnetic. They just opened. It, I mean, it was amazing, wasn't it? And also, for your younger viewers, <laughs> you know, if you can imagine the train without a platform for a second, right? It's quite a long way down. So I stepped out into a great big puddle. And then I had to walk all the way to West Hampstead. And then... So what, you can see the lights in the distance of West Hampstead Station. (laughs) And I'm sort of drifting in and out of consciousness now. And then try and bunk out of the station with the full knowledge that a train hasn't been or gone in the last 20 minutes. (laughs) Because you've you've walked half a mile. And at that point, I just thought, I'll tell you what, I'm going to get the next train back (laughs) up. This is enough already. And that was New Year's Eve... 1978, or thereabouts. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm laughing no, with the childhood memory rather than uh, yeah. approving of the behaviour. No, exactly, God, exactly. And there's so nothing careful. funny about it at nothing, all. Nothing, no, no. nothing. The Valium was being dished out like Smarties, you know, the old mother's elbow and all that. It was actually true, man, you know. It's blooming strong stuff, you know. The end of a year and the beginning of a new one can be quite stressful. Yes. Yeah. Edwina a bit, dare I say it, pissed off on New Year's Day when she couldn't find her value because you'd already necked it. (laughs) And the bottle of whiskey. But, no. (laughs) I put the bottle of whiskey, or what was left of it, back. Here come the stand for your oysters. I don't know about you, I love the accessories with oysters. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, what I do, I don't know about you, I have the first couple with nothing, just to see. Then I'll have a bit of... Oh, it looks like I'm having an oyster with you. Lemon. And then I'll have a bit of, um, if they have it, the vinegar and doobery, you know, onion. It has to be said your dad wasn't around. No, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. So there was no father, no. But the irony was, again, all of the band that I fell into, obviously Madness, all came from single families for some peculiar reason. And it has been said, you know, in some sort of freudian or one of them, you know, that, that, that we became a family, and we did. We really did. That classic yeah. way yeah. of... Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, Having a gang that gives you a sense of belonging. Yes, and it was, and it still is, a very dysfunctional Fun- family. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a great line you once said: "We split up for medical reasons. We were sick of each other." Still am. 
to the back teeth. Only about five days ago when we were speaking, you were on stage at the Royal Albert Hall for mm. Teenage Cancer Trust. Mm. And I was looking at you all thinking, you're all still doing it. Yeah. Particularly, I was watching Chaz. Yeah. At one point, I'm thinking he's trying to get on top of one of the monitors. <laughs> he hasn't quite got the hips for it anymore. <laughs> but you're really giving it large. Yeah. And when that's going on and you're all on stage, is that a joyous thing? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, of course it is. But no, fun enough, I say that in this one-man show. I look around sometimes, I think, not just the fact where we are, you know, would be at the roof of Buckingham Palace or the Royal Albert Hall, the fact we're even still alive is really a miracle. Yeah, it is. Oh, here come the oysters. Here come the oysters. Here come the little babies. Thank you, and I've got some... Got the same... Oh, go on. Grab a that. Comes with a salad. Lovely. And, and, and are these, the, 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 yes, the, the, the rock oysters of, of the Thames? Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they've just come from over yeah, there yeah, on the yeah. uh, Chelsea Reach where the houseboats are. Um, I've always been intrigued by something. I, I, I listened to the whole of One Step Beyond again not long ago. Yeah. Partly, I think you know, I chose one of your tracks. It's I one do, of my inheritance I, tracks on... Uh, that's the only reason I speak to you. Yes, I know. <laughs> exactly like I chose Night Boat to Cairo because it was a track I passed on to my own boys. I remember Christmas... 79 being given yeah. one step beyond pulling out the sleeve all those grainy black and white pictures if taken in a photo booth yes. on the inside yes. sleeve yeah um, but we put an advert I don't know why in the evening stand just said send us photo booth and it just there's people's bums tits it was quite fantastic actually going through them all and then we just put them on the back of the album. Yeah. It was 12 or 13. This yeah. was the sexiest thing I'd ever seen <laughs> um, but I listened to it the thing that really strikes me is you were kids. Yeah. You were, I mean, I think Mike Parson, your your piano player, keyboard, was, was slightly older, 21? Well, 20, probably. I mean, I and was The rest 18. of you were 17 or 18. Yeah, 17 or 18, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Musically, it's an astonishing album. It's hard to say for me, you know, but thank you, yeah. But funny but, you should say that, Jack. I tell you what, we made a film called Take It or Leave It. I don't know if you ever saw that. It was in 1981. It was a sort of docudrama. The music in this film was from that time, and it's kind of, it's very difficult to be objective about because it just sounds to me like it's very rough you know I'm a bit out of tune the sax is a bit out of tune I'm talking about one step beyond but certainly the energy is fantastic and the en well, yeah, but you know, maybe the music is better than I I think it is because I was talking to Mike's older brother Ben who's a very accomplished classical pianist because he came to see this film and he, I said oh the music's a bit rough and he said no it wasn't Suggs actually I think you're being a bit harsh yeah, yeah. I think you are too well it's lovely was that good? That was lovely. It's great. Yeah, we're back in the room. Back in the room. What did Frank Sinatra say? You know, one, one's enough. Well, there's very no, um, the, the There's the Dorothy Parker line, which is martinis are like breasts. One is not enough, and three is too many. <laughs> That's it. That'll do. Or that I think it's Dorothy Parker. She she also said, "I like a martini, one at most. Two, I'm under the table. Three, I'm under the host." Oh, that's so much better than the naff Frank Sinatra one I remember. Hi there, I'm Ollie. I'm the executive producer on Out to Lunch. And this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Imagine you had the time it takes to have lunch. Gifted to you each day, an extra hour. What would you do with that time? For me personally, after listening to Out to Lunch in a swanky new restaurant, I'd love to spend more time actually sampling the food there myself. Now, a lot of us wish we had more time, but in reality, if something is really important, then we make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. 
It can help you clear your head and take control of your life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Plus, it's entirely online to save those precious minutes. With over a 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash out to lunch. That's betterhelp.com slash out to lunch. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. You've, um, you've cited Ian Jury and the yeah. Blockheads as, yeah. a, as a, an influence and the yeah. kinks. And I'm going to, you know, go further back and suggest that what it all pulls on is music hall. Well, yes. But it's funny you should say Ian Jury, because I was walking across Hammersmith Ridge this morning, coming to see you, and there was a block of flats there where Ian Jury used to live. And it's funny you should remind me, I used to go around there as a kid. It was a very scary place. He was a very... Oh, you, you used to go? Yeah, because I was a huge fan, and I sort of got to know him a little bit. So going around Ian Jury's house, yeah. how, did that, how did you meet him? Um, well... His first band was called Kilburn and Highroads, and they used to play at a pub in Kentish Town called the Tally Ho, which is now yes. long deceased. And Leo saxophone player used to bunk in, and but he, one time he got in through the window into Ian Jury's dressing room, and it, it, it was one of those windows, had, I can't describe it, but a little prongle at the bottom, you know, that you can sort of open and close. Yeah. And, and was Lee, he a very thin man? He was in those days. Yeah. But as he got in, he got caught, his turn-up of his jeans got caught in the prongle and he was dangling upside that's down. A, that's a late 70s problem, <laughs> if ever I heard one. <laughs> and Ian Dewey came in and took a bit of a shine to him and then we got to know him a little bit. But going around his flat, yeah, he had this, uh, he had this bloke called Spider who was an ex-burglar boxer or something. He always had, and then he had the Strangler. It was another very terrifying. And, and Ian himself was pretty terrifying, but, you know... We got on with him a bit like my mum, that kind of thing. You know, if he didn't like you, he'd let you know, you know. But no, he was the one who then led us to, to, to the whole music hall thing. Yeah, because when I was a kid, music hall was, what was that, you know, the good old days. It was like pushing a bird, a daisy-covered, you know, swing, <laughs> blokes in strike with jackets. A yeah. lot of, the, yeah. you know, the yeah. early madness stuff to me. But what's weird is that osmosis, you know. On that score, I remember seeing a film of The Kinks who obviously we were very much in touch with in terms of creative. And they, uh, this old film turned up in the 1960s and they're going around this block of flats, which Lee Thompson happened to be living in at the time, all dressed as undertakers, carrying a coffin. Dave Davis comes to the door dressed as a woman and it's just like, hang on a minute, that is exactly what we've just done in a video for It Must Be Love. Mm. But having not seen... So there's this osmosis that I don't know, you know... Peter Ackroyd has these ideas, doesn't he, of things actually coming out of the pavement, you know. That, that the great novelist and writer Peter Ackroyd is sort of a chronicler of London as well. The biography of London, yes, yes. We'd been influenced by Ian Dewey, had been influenced by a musical, and so realised we were more influenced by a musical than we'd ever knew because we didn't really know what it was. Yeah, you, you said that you were writing about the 
the little things of life that yes. get ignored. Yeah. Which um, is exactly what the musical was, wasn't it? You know, making cinematic out of the ordinary life, yeah. But you were grafters. You yeah. worked. Didn't you set up set up all your kit in the basement of a dentist at one point? Yes, in Finchley Road, yeah. Yes, rocking it amongst the plaster cast of North London Nashers. You know, it started off, it was just a group of friends just with something to do, do you know what I mean? We'd, we'd just mess around in Mike, Be- Mike Barson's bedroom. As I say, his older brother was a professional keyboard player, so there was a piano, then we got a bit of a drum kit, and then it would just be sometimes 13 or 14, a bit, bit, bit like, you know, having a house party, except people started playing instruments. You say everybody was really committed. There was one band member that they all thought wasn't committed, which was you, because they chucked you out because you kept going to the football on a Saturday. Exactly. Some of the band started to take it seriously, and then they started rehearsing on Saturdays, and then I'm going to the football. I was a huge Chelsea fan, still am, and I used to go to every game. I'm making up excuses. There was only so many times I could say my aunt had died or, you know, and it got to sort of week eight. And then, unfortunately, I popped up on match of the day. And what, Mike, in the stand? Yes. And Mike sees me and I get sacked out of the band, yeah. But they had to have you back. Fortunately, they got a new singer who left to go and live, live in Ireland and they had a few gigs and I was the only one who knew the words. Like so to, I um, like to help here. I'm turning the, the thank you very much. The and tray of very oysters. delicious too. They, 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 it's this time of year when they get a little bit sort of what can I say? Small. It will pick up very shortly. Very delicious. Well, you've got one more month, and then they're out for. Well, actually, not these. The, the rocks will be available all year round. But you get that when they're spawning, don't you? Some of my friends like those creamy ones. I'm not mad on that myself now. But I also prefer the natives. I've got to say. See, you know the funny thing about oysters, right? I was in Scots some time ago now. The Mayfair restaurant. Indeed. Anyway, I've got a plate of oysters. On the next table to me is Margaret Thatcher. Now, at this point, she's completely lost her marbles. <coughs> she's, I don't know what she's on about. I'm sort of talking to her, but you know, I'm not quite sure if I am or not. She suffered from dementia later Dementia, night. sorry, that's what we should say. Yes, yes. Your music as Madness, 78, 79 to 85 or 86 was very much the voice of working-class London. Yeah. And that was also the time of Thatcher. And I can't imagine that she was anything other than a hate figure for the band. Yes, yes. Well, funny enough, I found it in an attic the other day. I did a poster. We used to make our own... Well, I used to draw them. Sometimes Mike did. Well, flyers, whatever you call it now. And we were playing at the Hope and Anchor, May the 3rd, 1979. That was the election day. Well spotted, Jay. You didn't get where you are today. At the bottom of it, I just said, cast your vote and get down the hope. But that's absolutely right, and I remember it clear as a bell. But I'm just curious how how you felt on that day when you end up in Scots, and there is this woman who, for that, from a certain age, was just... A hate figure, yeah. A hate figure, and there you are in Scots. One, you made it or whatever, you've reached a point where you can go and pick up the bill in Scots. It's not cheap. And she is there, but she's gone. Well, it's kind of weird, go. isn't it? This is how you earn your money, in it, Jay? No, it's true. And I just saw this, you know, person who, who wasn't this horrific monster, uh, you know, an old woman who, who wasn't very well. You know, and uh, I suppose that's part of growing up as well, isn't it? But at that point, I'm hardly going to go anarchy in the UK. <laughs> I'm sitting in Scots. Because you've joined the bourgeoisie. <laughs> that's, it. That's, that's it, mate. That's what's happened. Um, no, but I think, you know, I don't like 
extremism in any form, you know what I mean? And, and, and being angry about... You know, I disliked her politics, but it wasn't going to be a personal thing, no. Well, you mentioned extremism. I know this is a well-trodden mm. area, and you know exactly what I'm going to of ask, I ask you about. And I found it very, very weird that you ended up with a very strong yeah. National Front skinhead. And there was the skinheads after the mods. It, it, you can micro-slice this you stuff. Could. But a racist following, yeah. even though you were playing music of Black Origin. You go in a pub... And there'd be normally an altercation waiting for us when we got outside. First one was we played the Electric Ballroom. We had this fantastic R&B band called Red Beans and Rice supporting us. And, and then a section of the crowd started zigzagging. I mean, it's impossible to imagine now, but that happened, you know. So me and Carl took it upon ourselves to have a word. Anyway, that didn't go down very well. What, you jumped but, into the crowd? Well, to... I don't know, you know, I can't do all the details, but... Well, in the end, what we did, we got this great big geezer and he'd go out and they'd just tangle them all up in their braces and tie them all into a huge big knot of braces <laughs> and laces. Yeah, because they'd wear, they'd wear jeans with red braces. <laughs> but it didn't last that long, but it was a very horrific and unpleasant period. I mean, I mean, the specials were getting it and they had black people in their band. We well, that's became, the whole thing about Two-Tone. We became the poster boys because we were all white and we had short air, you know, and it was a very difficult thing to extricate ourselves from. I mean, all we kept saying was, you know, can you just listen to the music? This is a tribute to Prince Buster. This is like, you know, what else do we need to say? Are you still in touch with all the two-tone guys? Yeah, yeah Jerry, Jerry I speak to on and off. Yeah, Jerry's a very interesting character. I mean, you know, I have to um, respect the fact that he started two-tone records and he gave us our first break. You know, we really were just about capable of playing our own instruments. Did you have any falling out because you immediately moved to Stiff? No, there wasn't any falling out. I mean, I think it was kind of obvious that the two-tone thing really was the Midlands. You know, it was the specials, the selector. UB40. UB40, Dexies, bit of that. And we were London, you know, and it was always going to be that as much as we were influenced by ska and reggae, it was the injury, the kinks and the London stuff, you know what I mean, which wasn't categorizable as two-tone, but not that we didn't really appreciate it, and I really do. I love Jerry. But the specials were fantastic. I mean, the two-tone tour, you know, it's the first big tour, but the first time probably we'd been out of London, you know, and we were the special selector, and then Dexys Men Not Runners. Imagine those four bands every night. On one bus, wasn't On it? On one bus, exactly. With a trombone stuck out the window? <laughs> Spliffs and trombones. I think it sort of went amphetamines up the front, then booze. Then puff at the back. And, of course, I was running up and down the aisle, you know, <laughs> willy-nilly. What's the bus like now? Now you're all uh, more oh, senior gentlemen. decker, isn't it, with all the sofas and widescreen TVs. Now it's a poker up the front of the top deck. Yeah. And then there's a bit of watching films or stupid video games. And then downstairs it's reflection, reading and looking at your laptop. So reading the latest Booker shortlist on the, on the bottom... Exactly. So you, you split because you're sick of each other in sort of 85, 86. Yeah. Um, and then it seemed like a massive gap, which was, of course, only seven years before you reappear at Finsbury Park in 1992. Yeah. It is one of the noisiest gigs on history. How proud are you of the fact that it was registered as an earthquake? We had more weeks in the charts in the 1980s than any other band. And we packed up. We gave them a six-year chance to catch up when they didn't. 
But what happened was Mike, our keyboard player, went to live in Holland. He married a Dutch girl, and he and he was feeling more than any of us the pressure of having to have hit after hit after hit. Which you have because he was the main songwriter or the main musician. He was one of the main songwriters. It wasn't writing them all, but I just think he was really feeling the pressure and decided that he needed a break. And, and I think it was good for all of us, really. Oh, my duck has arrived. Oh, look at that hake. Oh, yes, please. Thank you. Lovely. There's two glasses standing over there. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Lovely. What have we got now, Mel Pal? Oh, oh, we're very happy. <laughs> Enjoy it. Certainly will. Thank you very much. What's well, the remarkable thing is, you uh, you have had not even a post madness career because madness never really stopped in the end. You just carried on. You became many things. You've acted. You've got a part in a Radio Four drama coming out, haven't you? Playing a superannuated yeah. rock star who's down on his luck. Um, a lot of TV presenting. A fabulous number of documentaries about London, all of which I've enjoyed. Did you, did you at some point think I have, and I've got yeah. a whole life ahead of me. I need to think about this. Did you actively think about that, or did it just happen? Well, that hates lovely by the way. Oh my god, that's nice. You know, when Mike left, that was obviously. I mean, I think I was twenty four then, or somewhere about that, twenty five. It was a great moment because I just had kids, I had two young children, and as I had a lot of the band actually, I run it all pretty much at the same time. I think it was a great thing to go back to what you call the real world, you know, because being a pop star is very otherworldly. You know, we were still like, it was like the 60s when we started. You know, you were on the road, you made three singles, you made an album every year, you were home for about a month, a year, that was it. So we all took a break out of that. I went off and I produced records for other people, The Farm, I'd number one album with them and... That's when I started to sort of get into broadcasting. Someone asked me to do a radio show. I, mean, I always knew I was quite good at sort of anecdotal bullshit. And that's why I'm giving you lunch today. Thanks, thanks. It's the anecdotal bullshit that I'm here for. Exactly. <laughs> what does Jules Holland call it? Tall stories in exaggeration. You know, I've got friends like Paul Weller. I've just done some tunes with him, actually, which have turned out really good, I think. I'm watching him work. You know, he is a musician. I couldn't ever describe myself as such, you know. I'm a sort of performer, I can write. If it's on the radio, on the TV or, or music, I treat it all the same. But I also like to change the scene every now and then, do you know what I mean? It's like do you bore easily? On the road, yeah, I start getting bored of it, yeah. After about two or three weeks, the songs start to sound like abstract noise, you know, and I'm just thinking about what I'm going to have for my dinner. One of the curious things which you have not had to deal with is if you are a massively successful pop star... Your whole life is dominated by something that happened when you were a kid. Yeah. And then you've got to live the rest of your life. Mm. And it seems a very odd structure. Yeah. And you must know a few people like that who are still dominated by whatever their success was in the 80s. No, absolutely. Charlie Higson, who's a good friend of mine, mm. was in a band was he and a- realised you just end up as a perpetual teenager and it's not a good place to be for the whole of your life. But I say, you know, not that it was chosen, but the fact that we had the sort of seven-year break made me reevaluate the whole raison d'etre of what being a pop star is, and it's completely stupid. Yeah, yeah, it's completely stupid. But, you know, what is good about it is you get the room to manoeuvre and do things that you wouldn't do if you had to work eight hours a day doing something else, which I totally grasp, you know. You were about to do a big gig in my back garden. I am indeed. Uh, in Brockwell Park. Indeed. What brought that on? 
Well, I've never been to South London before. Have life. you not? I just really thought, <laughs> before I die, I should. It's a bit of a joke, yeah, because we, we, we did this thing at Clapham Common for a couple of years, and we did this jocular promo about, excuse me, do you know where South London is, mate? And the old cab driver, oh, sorry, mate, don't go south of the water. And we did this film of us in a helicopter. Does anyone know where Clapham is in its submarine? <laughs> Anyway, it was a great gig. But we couldn't get that venue this year, so we're going to Brockwell. But, um, yeah, so Jubilation, it's going to be called, for the Queen's Bank Holiday, which goes from Thursday till, I think... It, it does, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, yeah. Sunday. Are any tickets still available for June the 2nd, I do you know? I do believe there might be one or two. OK, but, you know, so and where do, they, where do people on. go for to buy tickets? To the place where you buy tickets. OK, you know, fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, look up Madness <laughs> Jubilation Brockwell Park, <laughs> yeah, yeah. June the 2nd. I already have mine. We've got Squeeze, our old pals. We've got Supergrass. We've got a lot of great DJs, Norman Jay, and it's always a nice day out. Hopefully, we'll have a bit of sunshine. Yes, mate. Dessert. I'm fine, thank you very much. No, I'm, I'm fine, right, too. Mate. Lovely. Thank you. Have another glass of that, though. That was yeah, lovely. That's sincere. One? Yes, please. Yeah, Try and make it a bit more sincere this time. <laughs> right. um, there are some bands who have been touring for a very long time yeah. who aren't quite able to do it anymore. Yeah. Can Madness keep playing for a long time? Let's fucking hope not, eh? For all <laughs> our benefits. <laughs> you, is it, is it, it, it a few more years? Yeah, 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 undoubtedly. You know, I mean, you're ruled by the public, aren't you? The public like us, you know, for some peculiar reason. They still really like Madness, you know. I mean, it was funny. Well, that's because you give a brilliant show. There is that. And we had a lot of it. I did explain to someone the other day. Like old Bob Dylan used to say, if you don't like this one, don't worry, there'll be another one along in a three minutes. <laughs> Does help. But I tell you what was lovely, we toured for the first time at Christmas, you know, after two and a half years and nothing, and Squeeze come on the road with us. Now, Squeeze have always been in parallel with us, and, and for them to support us was such a lovely thing, because it's you know, not a matter of supporting, you know, we would have supported them back at some point. They'd been bigger than us and all that. And all How that. much of the original lineup is it? Is it Gifford and Tilbrook plus... A few others, or is it the whole of Squeeze? Why don't you ask their tour manager, mate? I'm not, you know, it's oh, a load of ball blokes. Oh, right, you know? OK. Yeah, Fred, yeah, you can't tell the difference Fred, between any of them, George, <laughs> Freddie, I watched Simi. a video of you all on stage for the Teenage Pants and Trust Man. It was like, the bald men, I don't know who they are. I don't know who's behind me, Jay. He said, my bass player, that was two years, I didn't realise until he came back. But, but, but more importantly... Um, Having Squeeze on the road with us, yes, to remind ourselves of, you know, great music is always going to sort of carry on in one way or another, yeah. I mean... I'm going to take it sort of full circle. Do you still go to the French house? Yeah, I was there the other day. Leslie, who runs it, was a very... Well, was my mum's best friend. And we're just discussing um, for the last 15 years, because, you know, it only sells halves of beer. I didn't know that, actually. Did you not know? Anyway, it turns out Leslie told me that the only reason they didn't sell pints is because the space behind the bar is so small. You know that? You've seen it. Of course you have. Anyway, on April Fool's Day every year, for the last 15 years, they sell pints. And I always do the... Uh, what do you well, do? I, I open it and... I believe tomorrow is April Fool's Day as we speak. So will you be at the French opening it for April Fool's Day? I forgot. There you go. Isn't that fantastic? Yes, indeed, I will. And that's a good day. Starts about 11.30, and you can have a pint of anything. And by the time you get to pints of gin and tonic, it's time for me to get off. Yeah, <laughs> it gets very rowdy in there at that point. Well, with that description, Suggs, yes. um, 
I'll see you at the is French. It tomorrow, yeah. It is tomorrow. So Damn it. I might see you there. Jolly good. All that remains for me to say is, Suggs, thank you very much for letting me well, take you out to lunch. Thank you for a very nice lunch and a very nice chat. That's the way it works. And the noise, by the way, is the flags blowing in the wind outside. We we do one that. One says Suggs and one says Jay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we put we put the flags the up. We put the in flags the up. Building. They'll come down later. You, we'll send you yours. Thank you so much to Suggs. What an absolute pleasure. And thank you to 2850 Restaurant in Kensington. Madness are playing Brockwell Park in South London on the 2nd of June. Go to ticketmaster.co.uk. And for further info on further tours, go to madness.co.uk. If you love the show, and I can't imagine how you wouldn't, uh, do please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do share, comment, rate us, give us five stars. You know, it really helps us to make more. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner and Robert Rickenberg. The recording engineer was Paul Brogdon and the mix engineer, Gulliver Tickle. Assistant producers are Anya Das and Bethany Hocken. The producer is Selena Ream and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Next time, it's Sherlock and Mr. Selfridge actor, it's Amanda Abington. There's this saying that in the acting community that if you don't know who the twat is on set, it's usually you. <laughs> 